You are listening to the Canadian Immigration Podcast, episode 118. The Canadian immigration process can be complex and frustrating. With the Canadian Immigration Department making it virtually impossible to speak to an officer, there are a few places to turn to for trusted information. The Canadian Immigration Podcast was created to fill this void by offering the latest on immigration law, policy, and practice. Please welcome ex-immigration officer and Canadian immigration lawyer, Mark Holthy, as he is joined by industry leaders across Canada, sharing insight to help you along your way. Well, hello there, and welcome back to another episode of the Canadian Immigration Podcast. I'm your host, Mark Holthy, broadcasting from the lovely province of Alberta, Canada. Now, the reality is I'm not alone on this episode, and I have a very special guest that I'm going to uh, that I'm going to be getting to in just a short little bit here, but it's all on visa refusals, and not just visa refusals, but what you do when it all goes wrong. So I have uh, been very, very fortunate to have a special guest, Adrian Denham, join me to talk about how to fix these errors, whether it's in the context of a study permit, a work permit, visitor visa, or permanent resident refusal. We're going to talk about a bunch of different examples that will be very applicable to you, as well as uh, offer some strategies and tips to try to overcome something that really sucks, which is a visa refusal. So without further ado, Let's jump over to the interview that I did with Adrian. Journey Business Plans is the leading immigration business plan writing service provider in Canada. With more than 10 years of experience, Journey has grown to become a trusted partner for immigration consultants and lawyers. Journey focuses on preparing business plans for a number of immigration applications, including intercompany transfers, startup visas, significant benefits, self-employed, PNPs, and so much more. Their main competitive advantages are reliability, responsiveness, and overall customer service, and I can attest to that. For those of you who don't yet know about Journey, ask your colleagues about them. They're amazing! Or even better, try out their work. You can visit their website at www.jorney.ca and mention you listen to my podcast with the code HOLTHYJOURNEY10. That's H-O-L-T-H-E-J-O-O-R-N-E-Y number 10. And that'll provide you with a 10% discount on your very first business plan for new lawyers. We're so grateful to have Journey Business Plans as the title sponsor of this podcast. Hello, everyone. Welcome back to another Canadian Immigration Podcast, as well as a video form that will be released on our Canadian Immigration Institute YouTube channel. I've got a special guest here, Adrian Denham. How are you doing, Adrian? I am great. Thanks for having me. Awesome. So Adrian is going to talk about something that, well, probably we have more consults on these topics than virtually anything else as immigration lawyers. And that's when things all go south, when it goes wrong, when your visa is refused, whether it's a study permit, whether it's a post-grad work permit, whether it's permanent residence, and there are things that can be done. And that's what we're going to talk about today. Now, Adrian, I asked this question of all of the people that come on my podcast. Why in the world did you get into immigration? What motivated you? How did you arrive here? Yeah, um, we all have such different stories to getting here. But me, like so many others, um, went through the process myself and found it to be awful. 
right? It is everything, your whole future uh, relies on what happens next. It is incredibly anxiety provoking. And there are very few answers and there's very few people to help, or certainly there was when I went through it. And I remember at the time thinking, you know, um, just this just doesn't seem very like every other thing in Canada. It just didn't seem terribly easy. I couldn't get answers. I couldn't find, I figure it all out on my own. And my whole future depended on it. And so it's a high risk game. And uh, there was so few people there to help that, um, you know, a few years went by and I had kept thinking about an area of law that I wanted to practice that was human facing, that made a real difference. Um, and, uh, and I decided to reach out to the Canadian immigration bar and I met folks like you and a couple of other practitioners who assured me I would love it. <laughs> and I said, okie dokie. And so I uh, got into private practice and uh, I now work here at Lebeau Law in British Columbia. And it's really quite an amazing area of the law to work in. It changes every day. You got to be on your toes. And the uh, I've never had a job. I've had a long, exciting career, but I've never had a, a job that was um, quite as human facing as this, like where we're really in people's lives. And, um, you know, every day to be able to call a family and tell them that their permanent residence was just approved. It's a life changer. So it's it's been really exciting. And carrying forward with our topic today, absolutely one of the reasons I got into this was because people were genuinely appreciative of what I did. Unlike yeah. litigation or, you know, that boring corporate stuff, you know, <laughs> but this, you, you genuinely made a difference in people's lives. And yeah. uh, so there was that, you know, the good vibes that come back from it. And yeah, it is awesome helping someone to secure permanent residence or citizenship, like these big monumental events in their lives. Yeah. Yeah, but even more so, is helping to extract someone from mistakes. Yeah. Maybe they've made, or maybe mistakes that IRCC has made. And over the last while, things have really changed within immigration. Mm -hmm. And the reality is when you're thinking about, you know, even in my own practice in, in our firm, we're, we are seeing way more consultations on refused applications than we ever did before. Mm -hmm. And this is all a product of the massive backlogs and them you know, racing to try to get through these as more applications increase at an astronomical rate. Uh -huh. So when we see these mistakes that happen, sometimes it is our clients. Sometimes people, yep. they screw up. They, they don't yep. do things properly and IRCC can be downright ruthless. But I had recently, even just leading up to our national conference, um, one week I had four consultations with people where it was all IRCC. They failed uh -huh. to see documents. They didn't acknowledge, you know, they, they misapplied the law. And so these things are realities yeah. that people face. And sometimes people are just, they don't know what options they have. Like you said, there's very little information on what to do if your visa application is refused. So I'm really, really happy today to have you on here to share a, a little bit of insight with us and, and to talk about some of the possibilities that can exist. Now, yeah. Maybe let's start with the first one. And I'm just going to, uh, just give me one second here. I'm going to pull up. The first one really that we're talking about is, um, is what to do if you yourself have made the mistake. Yeah. So yeah. maybe you can yeah. start off with that. Yeah, I will. And I think, 
you know, also by way of a little bit of setting expectations for the audience as well. I mean, there are painfully few options, right? So when something has gone wrong and you reach out to someone to say, how can I fix this? Unlike practically every other, you know, in our life, there's always, oh, what can I do to fix this? Uh, there's usually some options that make sense keep your expectations really low because there are those conversations that we have where this is not fixable. And I think, um, you know, you just use the word ruthless. This is not, uh, nobody is, IRCC is not out there to make friends. They are not your friend. And uh, sometimes there aren't options. And so there can be some very difficult conversations had. So there are a few options, then that's what we're going to talk about today. Um, but yeah, that's, you know, these can be the hardest conversations when, 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 mis when an error has been made and time has run out and there, there isn't another chance, right? So there's a lot on the line. Yes. And this is the thing that frustrates me the most, Adrian, you go online and you see all these people. Oh, it's so easy. Everything's on the website. There's, you know, you don't need to hire someone and they give people the impression that they're somehow stupid or that they, you know, are, are you know, yeah. they're just not smart enough. And that yeah. even, a, even a, you know, you <laughs> even yourself. someone yeah. who has very little experience with immigration, if you just read the website, you can figure it out. Yeah. And so they give this impression that, and do you know what, who's at the, the, the group that is at fault the most is the bloody IRCC department themselves who routinely <laughs> tell people they don't need to hire someone. But in fairness, Adrian, you know, yeah. there's a lot of crappy representatives out there. Yeah, you know? And absolutely. so when you've got yeah, people absolutely. who are, who are not providing good service, you know, yeah. and they destroy the lives of people that retain them. Well, it's no, no doubt those people are then going to go online and say it was a miserable experience. Don't waste your time. And then yeah. you have others who got lucky, got their application approved. In many cases, Adrian, even when they do things wrong, sometimes the officers miss things and still approve. And then yeah. they say it was so easy. And then yeah. everybody relies on their advice and direction, gets their application rejected. And yeah. then everybody's wondering, but yeah, yeah th that's when they call immigration lawyers, right? When things yeah, go exactly. south. Yeah, exactly. And, and uh, yeah, let's, let's move into the, what to do when you do something wrong, because I think it kind of riffs off what you just said. You know, if you're getting your advice from the, from the Facebook page, just take it, be, you know, be careful with that. It's great. I did it. You know, I relied on all sorts of sources. Um, but, um, but, uh, when things go wrong, there might not be a second chance. So, yeah, so we were going to, we wanted to talk to first of all, and, uh, about what to do if you make a mistake and, um, um, these can be, this is going to be when you get the refusal or when you get, I'm going to call it an R10. I'm not sure if your audience is familiar with that. They probably are. But for those of you who haven't heard of it, this is when it comes back. You've all probably heard about it in your forums. This is when it comes back because you missed something. And this is the, you can get into that cycle. I missed a signature or I missed a check mark. Uh, and this is what we've all heard about. And this is the, this is the one that'll wake you up in the middle of the night when you go, oh, I forgot something. And it doesn't even get opened. They go through it. They, um, uh, IRCC takes a look at it. And if, anything is missing, the whole thing comes back. And in the, in the business, we call it our tend. I remember I did it early on in my practice and I have never fully recovered. I was so upset that I made such a mistake. So, 
um, the the consequences for those are are dire too, right? Remember, if you get if your uh, application comes back incomplete, is what they're called. Um, uh, you need to stop working right away. So for many of you, you might be on something called implied status. It's now called maintained status. Um, and if you get that R10, you may have to stop working immediately. And it could take a long time for you to get back into having some work status or getting your PR and you're out of work while you sit there waiting for five months, six months, 10 months, 12 months. Um, so these can be quite devastating. So uh, some of the things to think about if you get an R10 is um, um, the, the first thing is, is, you know, did IRCC make a mistake? We're going to deal with that in a minute, but you go through it really carefully. R10s, in my experience, something got mistaken. You left something out. Um, it, there, the IRCC does make mistake, but I, but when I get calls uh, more often than not, a birth certificate might not have been uploaded correctly. Um, a signature was missed. Uh, and if you go through it slowly and you take a look at it, you forgot something. So what get, do you get to do? You do not get to call them and say, my bad. I'm so sorry. Can I send it now? I had it. I It was just a mistake. And they will not take it back. You don't get back in the queue. And if it was your mistake, you get to start again. And therein is the ruthless side. I have heard lots of people, myself included, the time, please, please give me a second chance. No, there is no second chance. So you get to go again. And if you are in, um, you know, skilled worker and you're waiting for draws, there might not be another draw. Um, and, uh, and this can be just brutal. So... The first thing I was going to say is, you know, you're going to need to think about reapplying. So in, in this context, what I'm talking about mostly is permanent residence, of course, but this is the yeah. same with study permits and work permits. If you have forgotten, mostly in the, the permanent residence context, we see this because with study permits and work permits, you can just reapply. But the the dire consequences are as in tends to be an express entry. So uh, you're going to get your name back in the pool and you're going to hope for another draw. Now, one of the hints and tips I had told uh, Mark, that I would do this. My biggest hint and tip for all of you folks out there is be really um, uh, careful with your labeling. And this is one uh, hint and tip, Mark. I'm sure you've brought it up, but when Indeed. you're putting, when you're putting together your profile, your um, your folder on your computer with all of your documents, think about your labeling because that's how you can self-check yourself. Right? Number one, Adrian's or passport, Adrian Denham number two birth certificate and then the name of my kid so that i can always be double checking what it is that i'm uploading simply by the um titles um and be you know don't uh, don't label your things jpeg number one or yes pdf number two or yeah. would a scan number five yeah. those aren't terribly helpful so just that is what i think is one of my greatest tips about when you're uploading to make sure you're going to put in the complete application yeah. what do you think of that mark yeah absolutely like i've got a personal experience a very painful experience yeah. with that so when express entering to a large extent this is where a lot of this shift in policy started it was with the creation of express entry all mm -hmm. this first you know, um, this, this concept of, of uh, um, you know, one look, and if it's not good, we're kicking it back. Yeah. And when Express Entry was first launched in 2015, 
I remember um, I was at a conference. Uh, I think it might have been Vancouver. I can't remember. And the officer said, don't worry. You know, if you don't have something, you know, you can always just provide a letter of explanation stating why you don't have it. So that was fine, you know, and uh, and he gave the impression that the officers would be, you know, reasonable, right? Well, yeah. in the case of my uh, in my office at the time, I I had paralegals, and and uh, this was relatively new, and one of the paralegals up uploaded um, a birth certificate for an individual instead of the passport, and yeah. the file got returned, and this was a very very, very a very time sensitive file for a large yeah. corporate client, which ultimately resulting in me losing the client because of yeah. that mistake. Now I was able to fix it, but the relationship with that client was gone. And, and Adrian, yeah. it was about a hundred thousand dollars for me uh, yeah. in, you know, yeah. each year that I was receiving from that client. Yeah. So right off the bat, I realized one that this new world of IRCC, this ruthless approach is, um, you know, they, they're going to show absolutely no mercy. Yeah. And so yeah. when it comes to naming right. after that, uh, you can see your document checklist when it's generated by IRCC within your express and your personal document checklist after yeah. you get your invitation to apply. And absolutely, when we're going through there, we label everything with a number exactly in order in which it is displayed on the screen, yeah. as well as the, the descriptor, like you said, yeah. passport, you know, Mark Holfey. Yeah. And uh, yeah, you know, so exactly. and we, we try to name it as close as possible to what the actual description is in yeah. the checklist. 100%. And then by that way, you know, we, we know and we have a folder that never gets touched after we upload. And why it's an issue is because after you upload, you can't look at the document. Yeah, exactly. So there isn't, isn't a way to vet it through the, you know, through the, uh, the IRCC yeah. secure account where we, where we file express entry. So yeah, yeah. absolutely. Exactly. Huge, huge yeah. tip. So that's that. So the so a few other things for the what to do if you make a mistake under the reapply idea. You know, the other thing that we I'm always looking at is is there another if, if we head into the study permit work permit world. For work permits, there may be an option sometimes, not often, but sometimes to be thinking about other work permits. So for any of you who are in the countries that are eligible for working holidays, double check to see if you could get a young professional. If you've done your working holiday, um, you might have a supportive employer, see if there's a young professional. So see if there's other ways that you might be able to get a different kind of work permit and always consider reapplying. Um, so, uh, if there's been a mistake and you've made the mistake, then you're going to need to send in that second study permit application or the second, um, the work permit application. So one of the hints and tips here that I was also going to mention is, um, is, um, something called a tip. Well, we call it a tip, but they're called access to information requests. And uh, if you quickly Google um, access to information, it's $5 and you can put in a request to, um, to see what might have uh, happened with your file. Use your file number and put the, uh, send that in. The processing of these ATIP requests, I'll call them, took a long time for a while, but it seems to be back on track now. You're probably going to get your um, the response in about 30 days, maybe a little bit longer, but those are always helpful because or they're sometimes helpful because you're yeah. going to get perhaps a little bit more insight into what might have gone wrong. 
Um, sometimes you're not going to get any information, but for $5, put in the application, put it in and see what you can get. It's, a, you know, no harm, no foul kind of situation and see if you can get some sort of insight into what might have gone wrong in your work permit or in your study permit, because there's something called reasons. And I, you, if you go to the, sometimes these things are about 45 pages long and it's the last page that matters. So scroll through everything, blah, 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 blah. There's a whole mm -hmm. bunch of stuff, but on your last page, you might get a little tidbit of information yeah. about what a happened. little note section a yeah. little note yeah, yeah. exactly yeah. um i was going to mention as well at this point um I, I might talk about it a bit more in detail there is a call center for ircc and you can phone them and many of you will have seen the phone number um we can share it but it's the 1888 number but heads up that i think the whole thing has been designed for you to never get through to a human being and i think that that's the case with the 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 what we call the web form and the telephone number and the fact that express entry and all of these portals the whole thing has been designed for us to never really get through to a human to fix it and um, that can be quite frustrating and something none of us are really used to, right? Like you can, again, you, you, something goes wrong. You want to pick it up, pick up the phone and talk to the officer and say, what, how, did, how can I fix this? How can, you are not going to get through to anybody. And they're designed that way. Yeah. So um, I think that if you've made the mistake, if you've gone through and established you've made the mistake, don't even waste your time calling the call center because they're not going to be able to see it. They're not going to give you any insight. Um, so we can talk about it a little bit more in depth, but there is a call center and there are human beings at that call center, but they are very limited in what they can tell you. Um, and it takes a little bit of effort to get through to them. I'll speak a little bit more in detail. I'll give everybody the rundown about how I get through to them, um, in the next section, but, um, Perfect. but just keep that, keep the, the, I'll just phone them and fix this. That's not going to work. Gotcha. Now. It's interesting, Adrian, I, I was thinking about this, um, you know, as we're preparing for our, for our, our little recording here. And, um, you know, when I started my practice, I had the ability to reach out to pretty much anyone. So yeah. if there was the reason I loved this practice was because of the, the ability to fix things. And there wasn't a single issue that I couldn't fix. There was always someone that I could talk to, right. someone that, uh, you know, that I could go directly to that had the authority to you know, to, to, to rectify, to breathe some humanity into the process, some compassion into the process yeah. because of mistakes or errors. Yeah. And over time, you know, as the volume of people interested in coming to Canada has increased astronomically, yeah. immigration has shifted to this one-touch policy. And this one-touch policy is designed for them to be fast. And so yeah. people That's I see online, oh, I just submitted my express entry. It's been three months and, and I still don't have an approval. And, you know, my, my friend you know, they're, they're already, you know, have got their passport request. What, what, what's going on? Is there, should I request a, an access to information? You know, people are asking yeah. these questions and I'm like, my goodness. Okay. Before express entry was ever created, the minimum processing time was two years. You know, right. you, you come from China and it was about six or seven years. Right? right. And so people, their expectations have been set for really lightning fast processing, which of course yeah. that's what express entry is designed to be. But with that, something has to give. And the thing that gives is mercy. Now, 
when we talk about express entry, it's like there is no ability to plead for mercy. Uh-huh. Interestingly, I'll throw in just a little anecdote. So now with the backlogs, they're really trying to flush out the TR to PRs that have been languishing for like yeah. a year and a half or two. So we're starting to see now refusals when originally they were quite kind to people. We're, we're starting to see refusals and requests, yeah. you know, procedural fairness letters. Well, an right. interesting situation happened relatively recently. I, I had a client who received a procedural fairness letter and uh, she had graduated from a, a DLI, but it did not grant post-grad work permits. And yeah. embedded within the instructions of the old TR to PR guide was that if you came from a school that did not grant postgrads, you weren't eligible to use that under the international graduate stream. Right. And there was, you know, they provided the provision within the procedural fairness letter that she was afoul of. And she, of course, didn't know. So was it a mistake? Well, yes, because you can have mistakes that are, you forgot to include something and mistakes that you didn't understand the actual requirements. So in her situation, you know, from the Philippines, um, you know, what do you do? She was actually on an LMIA work permit. So she was able to get an LMIA based work permit when she graduated and okay. she thought everything was fine. She worked as an essential worker as well. So she had two different avenues she could have gone through. And uh, so then what do you do? Right. What do you do? So we had to provide a response. So we did what lawyers do. We, we put forward a humanitarian and compassionate argument. Yeah. Now the yeah. TR to PR is, it's a program that was created under a, a policy that was of a humanitarian nature in and of itself, um, the whole TR to PR pathway to reward, you know, the essential workers and people that were on the front lines. And so we put all of that stuff in. We identified the best interest of her nieces and nephews back in the Philippines who are relying upon her and her sisters yeah. and their, their farm and the fact they could go to school and get health care. And, and there was already lots of proof of money going back. And so we made our best pitch. And guess what happened, Adrian? Yeah. She did not qualify for this program. So guess what happened? I'll I'll see if you have any gut feeling when we put that. (laughs) Well, I would assume it was refused, right? If you're not eligible, you're not eligible. But did you get it? They kicked it over to the bro office. So they they actually accepted the HNC. And and they pushed it over and they asked for updated forms. But she's in the final stages of her passport request now. Good so those great. kinds of things, um, you know, they're, they're extremely rare these days. They're extremely but rare. When I started I practice, yeah. when I started practice, there was always this option or a TRP or minister's permit uh, in the old days, they called them. There was always yeah. things that we could do, but boy, yeah, it's, it's tough now. They're tough, tough, tough. Yeah, exactly. So let's, um, oh, now the other thing I wanted to mention as well that mm. folks can think about, and I've got an example of this one is sometimes if you're eligible, so I want to put a whole bunch of caveats around this for everybody, but sometimes you need to fix it at the border. So the example that I have now, again, caveats, caveats, everybody listen to this. If you are yes. not able to go to the border, you make sure that you talk to someone first. But the story I have was a construction worker who had applied for a very basic LMIA work permit through IRCC online. Now, these things like there's, you know, what's funny is that you get your checklist and you get your, it seems easy enough and it comes across as being easy enough. But this fellow had an LMIA approval to be a construction worker and um, and he applied once, but I de- didn't put in his, his education. 
which I mean, the fellow had been a construction worker for 30 years. I, yeah. I don't know that his 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 it's terribly high relevant yeah. was terribly relevant to him. Yeah. Um, and so but there was a long wait line. And so, uh, you know, four months goes by before he gets a refusal saying you didn't prove to us that you are qualified for this job, which he was shocked because <laughs> he had 30 years experience of being a carpenter. Yeah. So he put in another one. Now, this is back before the LMIAs were there. They've got longer validities right now, but it, there was only a six month validity. And he put it in again saying, are you kidding me? Like I am the most qualified. Of oh, course no. I'm qualified. I've been doing oh, this no. for 30 years. Oh. Uh, this is ridiculous. I've got an LMIH here. Just, just send me the work oh, permit. No. And it came back again, second yep. time Ouch. refused for not sending us that you're qualified for this job. Um, and so on the day before the LMIA was set to expire and this man had been out of work for six months or seven months or whatever it was oh. at the time, um, we put him in a car and we sent him down to the border and the, the, the work permit was issued at the border. So uh, I just want to say sometimes, uh, you know, I've got another case where we had a dependent child of a study permit holder. There was three kids in the family. Two of them were uh, approved, but one, for whatever reason, was refused. This little five-year-old was refused her um, her her renewal of status, no less. It wasn't even a new one. And got a letter saying, get out of Canada yep. or we will send the authorities. You better get on the next plane, five-year-old daughter, uh, or you're heading home. And so, of course, the anxiety for the whole family was just through the roof and we ended up sending dad and daughter down to the border to, in order to get that one fixed as well too. So, but you know, make sure that you give a call to someone first, if you are from a visa required country, this isn't necessarily going to be an option for you. There's definitely um, uh, uh, things you need to think about, but it is in the day of these days of backlogs and errors, it is something that it behooves you to consider. Yeah. And I'll add another little anecdotal story. When you go down to the border, you need to understand exactly the process, what you need to do. So um, I had someone who had was in desperate situation, very similar. Uh, yeah. After a year processing through the pandemic, the child's application was refused. And uh, because there was an issue with restoration of status, there was a bunch right. of factors, but it was a young yeah, exactly. six-year-old child and the whole family, you know, the child had to leave by a certain day. So yeah. So we did direct them to go down. And, uh, but in, in the process, they thought it would be faster just to go to the Canadian office. So they went at like 8.30 at night. And this was in, in Atlantic Canada. Okay. And of course, they went straight to the, uh, the port of entry, the Canadian side. And uh, they did not actually leave, right. loop around the pole and come back in. And the officers absolutely refused to help them. And of course, I worked as a border officer, so I know what those fetchers, they could have done it very easily, but they were jerks. And um, they said, no, there's nothing we can do. You need to call IRCC. This is an IRCC issue, not a CBSA. Yeah. So please understand when you're going down to the border, they do not want to see you. So you need to make sure that everything is super, super clean, that you don't have some record of you yeah. Just helping out on one shift after your work permit was expired or anything that could even hint at unauthorized work because they will crucify you. They mm -hmm. will send you on a plane and send you packing faster than you could ever imagine. 
So yeah. this client, the only error was that they didn't drive down and present themselves to the U.S. side and then come back yeah. in. They went straight yeah. to the Canadian side. So, yeah. um, so then we had a dilemma. And as a former border officer, I, I know that I don't like and they don't like to see people who are port shopping, jumping from one to another. Yeah. And so, and I knew they were in the system that the officers had made some notes that they'd appeared. So I told them to go home. They drove the two hours back home. Uh-huh. And then I sent them down again the next day to the exact same place. Yeah, this time we went, made sure they went down, presented themselves, came back in and the child's, you know, and, her status was, was corrected because then yeah. they had the authority because it was on entry. Yeah, but yeah. this is a very, very scary thing. And some ports of entry are better than others. And like yeah. Adrian said, it's really critical that you do your homework, ask around, reach out to colleagues. If it's, if you're a representative, if you're an yeah. individual, try to do your research and if at possible, contact them before. Now, they're never going to say, yeah, come on down, we'll approve it. No, what they'll yeah. say is, I can't guarantee, but if you want to come, you could come, you know, and then take a run at it. But make yeah. sure all of yeah. your ducks are in a yeah. row. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, so that was one thing that I wanted to mention about, uh, you know, potential fixes and and in the right circumstances. Absolutely. Yeah, Perfect. absolutely. Okay. All right, let's so talk about the more exciting thing, yeah. the more exciting topic, what happens when IRCC makes a mistake? And this is what you were talking about earlier. I mean, some right. of the things that we have been seeing, and I think you're quite right. I mean, there's, there, you know, I, I, I find it hard for me to even contemplate making a decision on some of these applications in, you know, 10 minutes or less. Uh, how on yeah. earth is anybody supposed to be... Um, uh, taking in all of the information and not making a mistake. Uh, but, you know, so I totally understand that mistakes are going to be made. What is is brutal about the system is the inability to get these mistakes fixed. So um, there are a few options, very limited options. And if I'm going to be honest with you, they hmm. are expensive, right? Yeah. They, yeah. If IRCC makes a mistake, do not expect that they're going to fix it and send you a I'm sorry letter and a couple of dollars to make up for your hardship. Not going to happen. It is on you. If you want this fixed, you better go get yourself some help and um, and try to get it fixed. And, you know, the I, I know there's a lot of us out there that will do um, will help with these sorts of things, either maybe not on a flat rate or we'll try to do them in sections so that we can um, keep the costs you know, reasonable, but this, this, these can get expensive and, uh, and it's on you and IRCC is never going to send you an I'm sorry letter. So, um, we're, we're going to, we were going to do, I was going to give a few examples of some of the really, the things that I've seen in the last year and Mark, just jump on in here with, um, with, um, with some of your examples as well too. The first ones I'm going to give are the obvious examples, obvious that IRCC made a mistake. So here's your avenues. First of all, there's the call center. So I talked about that a little bit earlier, and you can call the call center. And my hint and tip to that is you got to get through to a a person. 
and you're going to spend some time waiting to get through to the person, but you have to get through to the agent and see if they have anything that they can see on their end. They probably won't. They're not going to be able to see much more than you, but every once in a while, um, they might have a little bit of a something to, pr to provide. So my, my, my suggestion to everyone, again, this is at this point, now you just need to gather the data to try to figure out what your options are. So IRCC's uh, call line is one 242-2100. And there is a tree. There's a phone tree that is going to take you ages to get through. Ages, but don't give up and keep going all the way to the end. So I actually sit down and map it out. I've mapped out the phone tree so that I know where it is to get to the agent. And um, for those of you doing, uh, you know, PR applications, you just be ready. You're going to have to hit go down and down and down and give your UCI and give your uh, your your um, application number and your year of birth. And you just keep on going. <laughs> and then there's another one that says number one, press number one to hear your status. You go and listen to that. And then the trick is, is there's a pause. And usually you hang up thinking it's over. But after that pause, they say, <laughs> and now. If you want to speak to an agent, press zero. So wait for that pause and then press zero when you get the chance. I think it takes about five minutes to work your way through all the way through, but you just keep on going. And then here's what's going to happen. You're going to get two options. They're either going to say, thanks for calling. We're too busy. And they're going to hang up on you. Or they're going to say, thanks for calling. You're on hold to speak to an agent. If they say we're too busy, then you hang up and you do it again and you keep doing it again and you keep doing it again. Don't wait for later like it tells you to do. They're never not busy. So you just hang up and you just keep going until you eventually get through. But if you do get on, put on pause, uh, put on hold, you're looking at probably about a half hour wait and then you'll get through to an agent. So say like when you're sitting down to do this, you make sure that you are sitting just with a cup of tea and your lunch and you're ready to sit on the phone for a while to get through to an agent. So that's the first thing I wanted to share with everyone about trying to see if you can speak to somebody. Uh, the next thing, of course, we've already talked about the A-tips. You make sure you go in and get your A-tips so you can see if you can figure out what happened. Um, but some of the things, some of the examples I wanted to tell you about that I have seen, some of the crazy ones is, um, uh, what did we have? Oh yeah, this was a, this was a really good one. The, and you've we've talked about this one. This was in the context of a PR application. So this was one of our, what we call the self-employed and they can take forever and a day to app, to, uh, to, uh, process. And so, oh, I don't know, 18 months went by or so before all of a sudden, um, and there wasn't even a procedural fairness letter, which is also a little bit crazy. All of a sudden the refusal came through for our self-employed author. So this fellow has been an author forever and ever, and uh, and uh, he had put in an application for permanent residence under the self-employed, and it was a very good application. And the refusal came through saying, you are refused because you did not tell us about those years that you were working for such and such an airline. And when you were that cabin crew person on such and such an airline, you didn't tell us about it on Schedule A, so we're refusing you. Good luck next time. So this fellow never worked ever 
for such and such an airline ever. He had never worked for the airline. He'd never been cabin crew, not a single day in his life. And his yep. entire PR was thrown out and refused because he didn't disclose it. And as it turns out, his partner had worked for such and such an airline. And so all that had happened was that the officer had confused him with his partner and his partner had worked with such and such an airline and was still working there, but he was now refused. And there was, so what do you do to fix this? So he called the helpline who said, sorry, uh, next time don't lie on your schedule A and maybe you'll be approved. So that's obviously not very good. So helpful. Uh, so helpful. So there's this thing called reconsideration. Many of you might have heard about this reconsideration. And this is where you write IRCC and you say, you have made a mistake. Please fix it. So you do it through something called the web form. There is also another term. Some people call it case-specific inquiries. Have you heard any other call names for it, Mark? That's, yeah, those, those are the are, main ones. Those are the main two. So they, they, uh, you can put it in through the web form. I'm sure we'll be able to share with you, but you, there's mm -hmm. a inside Canada and an outside of Canada version. And what you do is you put in your information and then you, you throw yourself at the mercy of IRCC and you say, please reconsider this decision. You've made a mistake. Yeah. These used to be in my experience, um, helpful. And we used to get reviews and we used to get things fixed, but I have found it to be much less so in the last year. And I, again, I think it's a, a product of them being too busy to review them, but I think many of them just simply get thrown straight into the recycling bin. And if anybody from IRCC is listening to this, I would love to have some sense of what is it that it takes to get these reconsiderations in front of the right people. Um, because often we're just trying to um, get a, an, an error fixed. So anyways, we sent in a reconsideration on this one to say he's never worked a day in his life for such and such a, a, an airline. This is just a mistake. And they um, didn't accept it. They said, wow. we're not even opening it. Now, here's the thing for everybody to listen to. These reconsiderations are discretionary. It's up to IRCC to decide whether what they're going to do with it. Um, and I have seen more in the last year that either are not even responded to yeah. or are uh, we've taken a look. We've given it a very thorough review and we're not accepting your argument and you're, you're still out of luck. So that's called a reconsideration. So that is your first, you know, in terms of reaching out and trying to get something fixed. Option A is this reconsideration. Um, for bald face examples, I do encourage it, but I, less so now because I do think that they're a little bit of a waste of time. Yeah. Thing has cha but, things have, have you changed found over that the last, too? Yeah, yeah, they absolutely have. So I'll give you two, a positive and I'll give you a negative example. Right. So we're probably 2021 in the midst of the pandemic. I had an, an individual come to me. They'd used um, a consultant and the, uh, the application they submitted was rejected because the reference letter was not accepted to prove right. the work experience. Okay. Yeah, so, yeah. The, so, the, so they rejected because they said he hadn't proved 
you know, that he had met the, or at least demonstrated that he'd performed a substantial number of the main duties in the NOC. Okay. And so the interesting part is in that refusal, and I don't want to get more technical, normally they say main duties, but they said the activities in the late statement, and they didn't mm-hmm. mention anything about the duties. Okay. So to make a long story short, we took it and I, I looked at it. This individual had been nominated by the province of Alberta. He had been working on an LMIA-based work permit. He had originally applied for the work permit before he came through Brazil. And they had used the exact same reference letter the whole time, all the way through. Right. And so I politely said in the reconsideration that your own officers have accepted this. Accepted this like yeah. on three separate occasions, plus, you know, the, the province of Alberta, which is not as relevant. They don't really care what the provinces do. No. Um, but I said, this is an unsettled area of the law. And if you are saying that this individual has not, you know, performed activities, you know, that align, then we're probably going to need to have to judicially review this uh, because I think e- either either um, there's something wrong with how you assessed it or you're saying that your own officers were wrong as well. Yeah. And then I address slightly legitimate expectation and stuff like that. Yeah. Yeah. But um, in his case, within a week, one week, he received his passport request. They didn't say anything. They just immediately kickstarted it and put him back in and he's a permanent resident. Yeah. Yeah. More recently, we filed a reconsideration request about three weeks ago for a person, an FSW who was in the U.S., mm-hmm. who was in the midst of a flurry of requests for information. She had she had gotten married. She had a child. Oh, the okay. application had been dragging on for over two years. And, um, and they had asked her to provide uh, proof of funds, updated information. Right. She had provided it. And in her portal, there were a number of slots for uploading. Sometimes they give more slots than you need. And so she uploaded it into one of the slots. And then the very next day, she got a refusal saying she had not provided anything, which is clearly the web form is an issue. And so we've requested the reconsideration and radio silence, nothing. Now, she is not at this stage willing to to file a a leave application. You know, so... Yeah. yeah, I want to get out to the to the crowd here is, you know, so. So reconsideration is the 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 softer option and you're, you know, you used to have more success with it than not. So but the other option and it's a little bit of the nuclear option, and I think it gives people a little bit of a cold feet about it, but it's basically suing the government. And this is called a judicial review. It's your version of an appeal in immigration world. And uh, I am now using it as my go-to. And I was worried, I was nervous about them back in a couple of years ago, but now this is basically my number one option for people. And so I know folks out there are going to be fussed about it. Let me assure you, you're not going to hurt IRCC's feelings if you appeal. They're not going to put a little red mark beside your name saying, oh, there is a troublemaker. We don't want them in Canada. Yeah. Here is the deal is they are not, they are too busy to look at everything else. And so you, if you get a refusal and it's their error, I encourage you, I urge you to call someone to take a look at your timelines and launch the judicial review. And what all of these examples I'm about to give you now are all of these appeals. And in almost all circumstances, we were able to get it what we call settled early. So this is not you're going all the way to court, which of course costs a lot of money and it costs a lot of anxiety and it takes a lot of time. 
But the purpose, and I encourage you to try to find people who will help you do this, is to try to get it settled early. Now you need to do an appeal. They're called judicial reviews or what Mark was just saying, um, up, you know, up, putting in a notice for leave. Those are all the terms that we're looking at. But basically, if you have an inside a Canada refusal, you've got to get that thing in within 15 days. So you do not have time to ask IRCC to please consider your circumstances and, and get, you know, please, please, please make it better. You've got 15 days. And if it's an outside of Canada, so this is your study permits, usually, you know, your initial ones, sometimes those work permits as well, unless they're the extensions. If you're outside of Canada, it's 60 days. So you have a little bit more time to, to let some of the other things flow. But inside Canada, you've got 15 days. So it costs $50 to put in a notice of judicial review at federal court. Um, if you if you call a lawyer and get some help. So you're going to have to pay some legal fees as well for this to do the assessment. But the first step shouldn't be super, super expensive. Um, and it's going to retain your right. And what you want to do is when you put in that notice and you get this judicial review started, what will come about a maybe a month after that or so is something we call reasons. It's the other thing I was talking about earlier with your ATIP, but it's it, then you get to see a little bit behind the veil on what happened. But my biggest thing about these now is that um, what happens is that it goes to federal court and it gets assigned to the Department of Justice. Now, IRCC is a client of the Department of Justice. The Department of Justice lawyers represent IRCC. So much like you, go and get your lawyer. IRCC has their lawyers and they're the Department of Justice lawyers. And what happens now is we send it into the courts and you get a different set of eyes on the whole situation. And often you can get an email sent through to the lawyers on the other side early on in this process um, that says, listen, this is just a mistake. This is, he was refused because they think he didn't disclose working for blah, blah, blah airlines, and he never worked for blah, blah, blah airlines. Let's get this fixed. So because you get a different set of eyes on it, um, and a little bit of a sober second thought, um, and it's not the the quick, 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 quick of the officers in the visa post, um, you can uh, often get uh, what we call an early settlement. Now, where in the process this happens is highly dependent. Sometimes it can happen super early, but often it's after you have submitted something called a memorandum of argument. And sadly, that takes quite a bit of work. So you're kind of looking at a couple of thousand dollars at least usually to get this done. Um, and you're not going to get that money back from IRCC, but often your option for settlement is going to be after you've put in your memorandum of argument. Sometimes it's after you get the reasons. But I, you know, I want to encourage everyone out there to make sure you find that you're working with someone who's going to be pushing for that settlement early, often, early, often. We're not, don't go to, hopefully you don't ever have to go to court because those take, that's a lot of resources. Yeah. But of all of my last year 
I had 90% of my judicial reviews settled early and all but a couple of them settled before we even had to put in the memorandum of argument. So I only even had a few that had to go to the memorandum of argument. So push early to try to get these things settled. And the way you push early to get these things settled is by making it easy for the other side to fix it. These are not long 50 page arguments. This is three paragraphs. Here's the facts, here's the mistake, and here's how easy it is for you to fix it. Make it so easy for the other side to just get it fixed because then we'll get it out of the system, we'll get it back onto their, their plate and they can approve it hopefully relatively quickly. So I wanted to tell you about this total error. They did not respond to the reconsideration at all. We had to go to a judicial review um, and you know, the client didn't want to, he had, he's like, but I don't want to upset them. You're not going to upset them. They are going to refuse for bringing that up. Yeah, you are, this they are going to say goodbye if you don't just go for it. Yeah. We see this all the time. They yeah. have to follow the rule of law. You guys, if, if they, if you are not meeting the eligibility of a program, then yes, they can refuse you. Yep. Um, so often I see people who are afraid to put down that they were unemployed. You know, oh, they're going to think badly of me that I'm not a good person because I had a period where I didn't have a job, you know, or I don't want to, I don't want to rock the boat because, you know, then they're going to, you know, they're, I'm going to get into trouble or something like that. Like, and Absolutely this is a concept not. that comes from other countries. Like I, I recognize that people have a general distrust of, of authority and, and there isn't, uh, there isn't the same kind of fairness that we expect here in Canada, but an officer can't refuse your application just because they don't like you. Yeah, it has exactly. nothing to do with so, that. This is all about your legal rights and, and the remedies that are available. And uh, they can't hold it against you. Although, yeah. Adrian, I will point out that sometimes IRCC, uh, some of the officers can be jerks. And they yeah. don't like being challenged if they think that they made the right decision. But these bloody immigration lawyers are, are just stirring the pot and when, when they don't believe someone actually qualifies. And I'll give you an example. So uh, for Pantea Jafari and her self-employed world, I, if those probably who are watching this, uh, listen to this episode or watching it, uh, saw the episode 117 on uh, the, you know, the steps that has been taken under that self-employed program for the class action lawsuit that's going on. IRCC, IRCC the, the, the program manager, whoever the hell is running the Warsaw office, like they're petty. And they're a, they're a cowboy. They do not like to be challenged. And they unilaterally just called out a whole bunch of applications and did not follow the rule of law. They created barriers and they're still doing it. Yeah. And it's unbelievable. Even after a court, a federal court decision, yeah. um, directed them back to get it sorted out, they're still creating roadblocks and trying to find ways to refuse. They are freaking jerks. Yeah. And, uh, and, and sometimes you can get this, but that's why hiring an immigration lawyer, one that is here to protect you, they're going to approach it from a very conciliatory approach to start with. They're going to be, you know, kind and understanding and recognizing that officers are under a high, high volume and high stress. But at the same time, they're going to advocate firmly on your behalf. And right. we found that the Department of Justice lawyers are exceptional. They're really reasonable in their approach. And, and when they see that there's a clear error, they don't want to waste the time. I, they the don't want to waste the time. I've yeah. noticed that. And I've they'll send a lot it back. Yeah. 
you know, for the folks people. that are trying to navigate this, they're trying to help us out in, in many cases as well. And for sure, there's the the the, the stories where there, it's not going to go, it's not going well, but there's lots where we can get it out early, right? Yes. So I want to give a few more examples. So I've got my, because these are where IRCC made an easy mistake. Now, what you were talking about as well is when it's not quite as easy and a mistake, yep. right? So those are the ones. Yep. So these are the easy mistakes. So this is yep. obviously, it was just a mistake. I wanted to give a few more examples because this might resonate with some of you. I had a post-grad work permit and this uh, fellow had finished three years of studies. He had come here, he had invested all of his money to come to uh, university in Canada. He applied for his post-grad work permit, followed everything perfectly. And the officer in reviewing the transcripts for whatever reason decided about in the winter, one winter term that this young fellow had done part-time studies instead of yep. full-time studies. Yep. And he hadn't. He had done full-time studies. Now he um, he had got he was a he was a full ride scholarship athlete, and so for that particular for a couple of semesters, they they had taken I guess there's five courses was a full time, and three courses was full time, and under three courses was part time. So whatever it was, but that for these semesters they were off doing they were. Um, doing the sport right yeah so anyways the officer said no in the winter of blah 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 year you were part-time i'm refusing your post-grad work permit now remember everyone you've got a limited number of days to apply for your post-grad work permit and you get one kick at this too right this is again when we were talking about those dire circumstances so he this young fellow called the ircc hotline and he managed to get through god bless his little cotton socks and the ircc hotline said oh we can see this it was obviously a mistake i can see there was a mistake apply again but this time add a letter from your university that confirms you were full-time and that ought to do it so he put in another application because he was still within his allowed time to be able to be eligible for a post-grad work permit. And he had a letter from his dean or the program uh, advisor or whatever it was saying, I just want to confirm so that, you know, he was a, a totally full-time, absolutely full-time every single semester. Don't you worry a little bit about it. Mm. And I kid you not, they came back and they refused it again. Now, then the next step was to put in a reconsideration. So the reconsideration went in saying, really, are you sure? Like there's a letter here that says he was full time. Yeah. And the reconsideration came back saying, yep, we are 100% sure. We've reviewed your whole file. We've decided you were part time. So essentially so, they know more than the actual school administration as to what is full time and yeah. what isn't. Yeah. And so they impose their own, their own view on what they consider to be full-time, irrespective of a very clear, unequivocal statement from the school unequivocal itself. Unequivocal letter. This, yeah. this young man was full-time, period, the whole time. And they said, no, we've decided that you were part-time. So, um, so now he is out of time. He can't even apply again. So again, remember at the beginning, we were saying sometimes these consequences, right? Like there's no going back. Now there's no applying again. And they are, they're turning down the, the reconsideration. And so this fellow called me saying, are you kidding me? Like, is my dreams of being in Canada over? Um, so we had to do a judicial review and he was nervous and he didn't want to upset anybody, but we did it. So in it went, um, we did the judicial review. 
sadly, it did not. I don't know why. I think there might have been summer vacations that stay at, at hand. I don't know what happened, but we weren't able to get a super speedy uh, settlement. We ended up having to put in a memorandum of argument. And I'll tell you, I did the shortest, quickest little memorandum of argument I could without embarrassing myself mm -hmm. um, to try to get it in front of the Department of Justice lawyer who phoned me after uh, they saw it and said, I have a kid in university. I cannot yeah. believe that this is going this way. Yeah. Now, remember for all of you as well, too, this young fellow has now graduated from university and he is trying to launch his career. So does he work or does he not work? And I told him to keep working. And he went for the next eight months nervous and worried every single day about whether he was working without authorization. And at the end of the day, it got settled and that post-grad work permit ended up being approved. And at the bottom of the post-grad work permit, it said maintain status all the way along. So, yeah. but this is extremely stressful for all of you who are, you know, don't want to be working without authorization to be sitting there working every single day, launching your career after you've just graduated and you have student debts to pay off. And it took us eight months to get it fixed. Because of an IRCC error. Because of so an IRCC is, error. So uh, it's not for the faint of heart. Um, yes. Let's see if I have, I, we've talked about. Yeah, oh, let's I've, pull out a couple I, more examples here as we, as we get ready to right. start to wrap up a little bit. Okay. Let's share a few more examples. Yeah. One more than we had, we've talked about this before, but this was another a dependent child of a post-grad work permit holder who was refused over and over and over again, five refusals we ended up having to judicially review it and it settled early. But this was again, someone from a country who really didn't want to rock the boat. And I kept saying, you're just going to keep getting refused. Yes. We can't just keep putting this thing in again. You just got to do it. And eventually we were able, they held their nose and they said, we're going to do it. And sure enough, it was, uh, it was uh, settled early. So the ones, those are the easy, those are when it's just a mistake and those are so frustrating, but I do want to talk a little bit about the ones where it's a little bit, this is what you raised earlier, yeah. where it's not quite as obvious. So this is where it's not quite as obvious, but the, the decision maker, the officer has decided often we see it in study permits that they don't think you're going to leave Canada at the end of your authorized day. And you've put in that you've got enough money and you've put in that you've got ties to here, there and everywhere. And then you get a form letter back that says, blah, 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 blah. Here's all the reasons why we don't think you're going to leave Canada at the end of your authorized day. So these ones are a little bit more tricky because they're, they're more discretionary, right? This isn't just about they saw something and they made a mistake. These are more discretionary. Again, you can put in for an offer of reconsideration. I think that the reconsiderations on any of these discretionary ones are even got even have yeah, even a less chance be, yeah, of being reviewed, yep. right? So the study permit ones uh, where there's even a, a hint of discretion, I don't think they even open them if I'm honest. So then you have to go to a judicial review. I used to find these ones, I could get settlements, but I haven't really seen them in the last probably seven or eight months, they almost all need to have a memorandum of argument so that the Department of Justice lawyers can actually take a look at 
you know, a little bit behind the, the veil. And this is the one where you're going to see the things like, we didn't think it was a good enough investment. We think that you have other options closer to home. The one that I think is is always rich is some of the some of you who are from one country but working in another country and you can be refused on the grounds that you don't have enough ties to your country of citizenship because you're living in another country so there's lots of case law now we've got to, because of all of these refusals and because so many of you thankfully have actually done it and gone to mm -hmm. to do the judicial review we've actually had some really great cases in the last year where the federal court has come out to say, no, that's not okay. You can't refuse people because they're living in one country, but they come from another country. In fact, we'd like to say that that's actually a good sign. It shows that you respect immigration laws. Um, you know, just because you're young, uh, what what's the line, Mark? Help me. You're young and single and mobile without mobile. any dependence. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, all of a sudden, now you're not going to go home at the end of your Isn't authorized that every day? young student who's looking to go to school? Yeah. <laughs> Thanks goodness yeah. you're young and mobile with no dependence. That's what you're supposed yeah. to be when you're a student. Yeah. So we've seen refusals for those. So there's some really and then on the, uh, the, the converse to that, Adrian, is the people that are old, married, with children, and oh, because you want to bring your family and not be separated. Well, we don't think yeah. you'll go back. Yeah, either. now you're so, also refused. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. So it's a little bit of, of you know, either way or the you have too many ties in Canada and you have too many ties at home. So on both counts, we're going to refuse you. Yeah. So there has been a whole bunch. And so, again, thank you to those of you who had the courage to go ahead and do the judicial reviews because you have helped the rest of us what come up with a what, you know, a body of case law that helps um, helps inform the officers. In fact, IRCC updated their program delivery instructions. Gosh, what was that? A couple April-ish now yeah. to, to, you know, reinforce to officers yeah. that Canada is marketing, studying in Canada to talented individuals around the world. And we're out there marketing Canada as a place to come and study and, um, and you know, Become and a permanent resident. Become a permanent yeah. resident. Yeah. And then when you put in your application saying, I can't wait to come and become a permanent resident, and then you get refused. So um, thankfully, there's a little bit of, uh, I think, hopefully a bit of an alignment there. Um, but we shall see how that, that's all still pretty recent too, right? Yeah. So, yeah. Um, so those are the harder ones. And that's where you're going to want to sit with someone and say, you know, we're probably going to go to a judicial review. Uh how you know what does a memorandum of argument look like and how quickly can you get in front of the department of justice lawyers to see if we can get this thing settled in terms of what happens next a settlement does not mean you're going to be approved so that's even the even you know it just keeps going what a settlement means is that it's going to go back to another officer for another look and you will get, you probably should, you should get an opportunity to add additional updated documents. Um, do not put in the same, my approach, this may be different for others, my approach is to not necessarily put in the same application again. I only do updates and I usually put in a, 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 a polite but sternly written letter that reminds the officer that this went in front of the litigation branch already and they've decided to send it back. So let's not do the same thing again. Um, 
so there's usually a, a letter that says something along those lines. What's your experience with those, Mark? Yeah, yeah. Like, and, and lately, I know from our colleagues, we're getting a lot of reports that they're taking their sweet time in many instances on actioning this. Yeah. So, you know, we're seeing lengthy, lengthy, um, uh, you know, delays in having these visas Reopened. processed yeah. and, you know, and, and to, to approval. And we've yeah. always advocated for an, an ability of, of some other independent third party or different office or someone to, that focuses just on getting these things done versus sending them back to, you know, the, the original officer, yeah, um, just nice. because of the pettiness sometimes that, that exists, you know, yeah. when some officers and I, I think I can fairly talk about this stuff because they're not all lovey dovey, right? Like some are just hate their jobs and don't want to be doing it, but don't have any choice because they're a, go a life or government employee and they just don't want to do anything else. And, um, and, and they just become jaded. Like us as lawyers, sometimes we become, yeah. you know, burnt out and frustrated. So these are real human beings who are, you know, struggling in their own, own lives. And so when they've gone through this work and they think they've made a good decision and, and then we as lawyers question and challenge it and send it to court and we're successful. You know, sometimes it's, it's really offensive to the officers that, you know, that someone is questioning their decision and, and they'll just sit on it and they'll, they'll wait and they'll just, you know, they won't make a quick decision and, and you have to prod them and push them and, and they'll make it as miserable as they possibly can. Yeah. And, um, you know, and then in other cases, for sure, you know, things are quickly revived and turned around and, you know, the remedy that the client is seeking is, is, um, is granted and, and, and they get the result. So. So those are some of the, I've got more, but I know we're mm -hmm. sort of getting close to the end of time here or we're yeah. out of time. So I wanted to just uh, wrap it up. Does, was there anything else that you think that we could uh, give to the listeners to see as a, as an idea? Well, well, you know, the, the biggest thing is just understanding that no matter who you use to file your application, whether it's yourself whether you use an immigration consultant, whether you use an immigration lawyer, there are avenues that you should consider. And if you get a refusal and your representative tells you, ah, don't worry, don't bother about it. You know, it's sometimes these things happen. And, you know, I would seek a second opinion uh -huh. because very frequently I see people who people tell them, you know what, don't, don't bother. There's nothing that can be done. And there may very well be something that's available to you. And I've had a lot of calls with people who missed the limitation period because someone told them not to worry about it. And then at that stage, it is too late. So in Canada, 15 days. Outside of Canada, you've got 60 days. But the reality is the moment you get that refusal, go right back to whoever was helping you if you were represented and see if they have, if they talk about what we're talking about here. If yeah. they do not, then I would strongly encourage you to, to reach out to Adrian. And we'll put her, her contact information in the show notes for the podcast, as well as the description uh, in the video um, and reach out and get a second opinion because, yeah. you know, the, the, you, you very well may have a remedy available to you. We may, you know, come back and say, hey, you know, you screwed up and there's nothing yeah. we can do. And we're kind of singing the old Roy Rogers song, Happy Trails to You. That happens sometimes, yeah. but there's always, um, it's always important to understand the full extent of your rights and not just to accept and roll over with whatever decision happens. Yeah. So that's yeah. the one piece of advice I'd give the, the listeners for sure. Perfect. Yeah. Great. All right. Well, thank you thanks so much, Adrian. Me. 
And if they do want to reach out to you and some of them, you know, they like us to tell them how to contact versus trying to dig up through the, uh, the feed if they're listening on iTunes, um, right. what's the best way for them to reach out to you? Uh, my name is Adrienne Denham. I work at a firm called Lebo Law, L-E-B-E-A-U Law. We're in British Columbia. You can find me, there's a website, lebolaw.ca, and you can book a consultation with me. Um, I know it doesn't exactly say it's with me, but it is with me. It's directly linked to my calendar. You're going to be uh, linked directly to me. Um, and uh, that's how you can find me. I'm on LinkedIn. Uh, Lebo Law has a Facebook page as well, too. Um, but I look forward to hearing from uh, anyone out there. And if you, I mean, if you, I'm in British Columbia, and if that's not convenient for you, like Mark, I know practitioners all across the country as well. And I'm happy to put you in, in touch with many of us are doing more of these now because we have to. And if you are working with someone who can't do a judicial review or won't do a judicial review, just give a call and we'll get you in touch with someone who does. You bet. And I just want to remind everyone that this world is virtual. So no matter where we live these days, um, you know, judicial reviews, leave applications can be submitted no matter where you live and where your lawyer lives. So that's geographic region is, is pretty much irrelevant. So find someone that you know, that you like and that you trust and, um, yeah, hopefully you've learned a little bit more about Adrian and her background and and uh, there's lots of opportunities for support and help in the event that your visa gets refused. All right. Thanks so much, Adrian. It was great having you joining me. Appreciate it. Thanks. Take care. Well, I want to thank Adrian for joining me. It was great to have her. She offered just a tremendous amount of insight, which was just awesome. And, uh, you know, when you think about immigration, and as uh, we've now seen, we've got a brand new minister. Um, uh, Sean Fraser is out and uh, Mark Miller is in. We will see if this does anything to change the current craziness that we're seeing within the immigration department. And one thing we know about immigration is that change is the one constant. And so when we've got uh, ministers that are switching every year or so, it's a pretty clear indication that immigration is a very painful process. And when you have the department who is under massive backlogs, looking for every opportunity possible to just get a file off their desk, refusals are absolutely inevitable. So make sure that, uh, you know, as, as you do see th- these things happen in your practice or in the context of, um, you know, uh, if you're an individual happening to yourself, don't roll over, but fight back. And that's kind of the message that we're trying to get out here in this episode. Um, There may be remedies. Don't hesitate to reach out to Adrian at her firm or us uh, at Healthy Immigration Law. And we can give you a a hand to try to sort through it. And hopefully we've also given some of your practitioners out there a little bit of, uh, you know, a few more tools, let's say, in the toolbox. All right. Well, I hope you enjoyed this podcast. If you have an idea, don't hesitate to send an email to mark at canadianimmigrationinstitute.com. And uh, yeah, we'll, we'll see if you've got a good idea for an upcoming episode or uh, a topic that you would like to see us cover. Don't hesitate to reach out and also all across social, uh, whether it's um, Twitter at, at Mark Holthy. Um, reach out to me there. You can find me on Instagram and pretty much everywhere else that you, uh, you consume your various social content. 
And of course, the Canadian Immigration Institute is the place where you can get all of those DIY videos and um, a lot of content that is constantly being released on all aspects of Canadian immigration. So thanks for tuning in and we'll see you again in the next episode. Thank you for listening to the Canadian Immigration Podcast, your trusted source for information on Canadian immigration law policy and practice. If you would like to book a legal consultation, please visit www.holtylaw.com. You can also find lots more helpful information on our Canadian Immigration Institute YouTube channel, where you can join Mark on one of his many Canadian Immigration Live Q&As. See you soon, and all the best as you navigate this crazy world we call Canadian Immigration.